we're doing the work of the kingdom of God. Amen. First Kings chapter 6, and I'll read it three verses in our hearing, but just verse 1 for now. And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziph or Ziv, which is the second month that he, meaning Solomon, began to build the house of the Lord. Just pause on that for a moment. This is a key verse. It's establishing the chronological framework of biblical events, uh, not only from Moses, but even from Abraham to David. Um, it, it, it dates the exodus from Egypt. Uh, now these 480 years um, before the fourth year of Solomon's reign. It, it, if Solomon reigned 40 years and ended in uh, 931 B.C., then the Exodus had to occur about 1445. This is it's important because it will place the beginning of the construction of the temple in the spring of 966 B.C. This biblical uh, uh, description gives us a great clarity as to timeline. And in timeline, we've We've now entered this moment when something new has occurred. Before this moment, there was presence. He walked with them in the cool of the day, the presence. Um, that was his optimum and most desired communion. But then after the Garden of Eden, he spoke to them. There were audible voice, a voice, an audible voice of God. And then came the great leaders of Israel, spiritual leaders. Uh, then came Moses, of whom God said, I speak to him face to face. To you, to you in riddles and shadows, but to him, I speak to Moses face to face. And in those times was a tent. It was just basically a tent of meeting on the outskirts of the camp where everyone would go to search him out and then from the tent came the tabernacle we know of the tabernacle of Moses where they gathered around it a tad more convenient not as much searching but now we have entered into a new phase it's, it's a different phase it's not it's not the same. It's a fixed place. It has a foundation. It won't move. And um, Solomon now has endeavored to build it. And now the next uh, 10 verses are going to describe that particular stru uh, structure that we know as Solomon's temple. Everybody still with me? God will speak now in verse 12. Concerning this house which thou art in building, if thou walk in my statutes and execute my judgments, it's not even going to refer to the house, but they're going to be connected, but it's a deviation in, in manner. Concerning this house, you're building it. If you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then I will perform my word with thee, which I have spake unto David thy father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people, Israel, concerning this house. Amen. I feel like I've I'm moving in the Holy Ghost tonight. Just to offer one word. I don't know what the tone of this year will be, but if I if I could if I could 
set the tone. And I don't, I don't know if that's possible, but if, if it's possible, if, if I could offer it, uh, then this is the moment that I've been waiting for. And I'm praying that just a small truth will take a hold of all of us. If you're not on the email list of New Life Fellowship, all you have to do is call the office and give them your email. Who received my email today? Amen. Who read my email today? Okay. Amen. If you haven't received it and you look in your email box and you don't have it, call the office and give them your email and they'll send it to you. If you've received it and you haven't read it, wait until I'm done preaching to read it. If I get boring, then just read it anyway, whatever you feel. We're on a mission here tonight. There's a stirring in my spirit tonight. I'm thankful that the house is filled with people, but there's something that's, that's boiling up inside of me. And I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost, amen, concerning this house. Put your Bibles down now and with your voices, your hands, your hearts. Give the Lord great praise. you. You may be seated. Just a notation of order of a new structure in which Solomon took up the cause of his father. And he built something that he believed was for the Lord. He endeavored to construct a place of worship. It might have been in similar fashion or at least in kind to all the other nations of the world. For they had many artifacts and places to house their gods. It was David who felt convicted that he lived in a palace and his God lived in a tabernacle. He took great strides to gather all of the elements and materials to build the temple. But alas, the Lord would not allow him to do so, for he had blood on his hands. David was a man of war. The allowance was given to Solomon, and he took up the construction that came from the vision of his father David. Solomon did not dream up the temple. It was not his singular cause for living but in honor of his father and in continuation of what David saw. Solomon looked over the particulars of the project and made sure that they were completed in correct fashion. And no doubt it was an awesome display, oh my. The gold and overlay, the cedars and stone, quarries with cut stone, some 70,000 men working with precision in those bedrocks alone. God did not disparage the project. Notice, the edifice was allowed and in time, and yes, anointed. God visited that place. Upon the dedication, God's glory was so thick that no man could even walk into the room. And at the end of it all, Solomon himself will have a revelation to the greater significance of God's omnipresence. He will look at the temple, the magnificent place that has been built, and then 
He will look upwards and he will say, Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. The temple was the place. It was the showpiece of their handiwork. And again, God did not disparage it. He did not cast it aside or demean it, but rather God said, concerning this temple that you are building, concerning this house, if you will follow my decrees and carry out my regulations and keep all of my commandments and obey them, decrees, regulations, commandments, obedience, I will dwell among you. The building was good, but the value of the temple had nothing to do with the gold or the stone or the towers of cedar. It had to do with the keeping of God's ordinances and his commands. The value of the place, both then and now, is not the material asset, but rather it is in the keeping of the word of God. The value of any place has nothing to do with the decor. It's not anything to do with the size, large or small. It doesn't have anything to do with the value of it in a money sense or material sense. It has to do with the keeping of the word of God. If the word of God is kept, then it's valuable. If it's a straw shack and the word of God is kept, then it's valuable. If it's gold overlay, it's the Taj Mahal, and there is no word, then it has no value to it. Amen. Don't ever deem some place worthy because of its small size. Smallness is not more of God. (laughs) Little is not more of God. No, it is not. That's a lie. That's born from pride. Just the same pride as if large places are more pronounced of God. They are not. The only thing that God exists in is in his word and you keeping the power and the commandments and the orders and the decrees of his word. Amen. The temple would one day be destroyed, in fact. All that they had put into it, seven years of labor, be torn down, much of it burned, be wiped away. Those beautiful artifacts, cedars, Many of the things, many of the utensils stolen. Years later, another temple would be built in its place. The same command was given to the second temple as it was to the first. And while some lamented that smaller size of the second temple, and they cried over it, others were rejoicing to see a second chance. And the noise was so great, half of them were crying and half of them were rejoicing. You could not distinguish which side they were on. The fact remained that the keeping of the law of the Lord and obeying his commandments is what mattered even in the second temple. He would dwell with them. He would give them victory and strength. He would be their God with all that pertains unto his power and blessing to which there is no compare, but they were required always to keep his law and his commandments. The place mattered more to them than to him. But concerning this house that you are building, God said, keep my regulations and decrees and commandments and obey them. Concerning this house, I won't spend too much time on what you're building. I'm going to take time in making sure you keep my law, that you remain pure and righteous and godly. Concerning what you're doing, fine, I'll allow it. But what I really want is your heart. I want your lives. I want, I want you to live outside of the temple just the same way you present yourself inside of the temple. Because the place is not near as important to God as it is to men. In fact, the scripture, it appears that while God said, I, God said, I didn't ask you to build a place. He allowed it so that it would be a witness to the heathen. Okay, I'm going to allow that just so it would be a witness to all the people that there is a God in Israel. But I'm not confined to that place. The nations will know that there is a God in Israel, and therefore the allowance is made. But God wanted a place for sacrifice. He didn't need an altar like that. 
He didn't need golden doors and two massive columns and massive pillars in front of the courtyard, but the allowance before the people, but he really wanted a place for sacrifice. He wanted a place where real worship was given and worship to God meant killing of the animal and the blood. Amen. And yet upon the final dedication, I read from second Chronicles five, it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good for his mercy and doeth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. The miracle was that God's presence was seen by reason of the cloud. The spirit was so thick and so powerful. They couldn't even go through the function of what they were supposed to do. They all had a job. All the priests had a job. They all had ideas. They all had things to do. It might have been scripted. It might have been, it might have been detailed. There might have been a process. But the spirit was so thick. They just had to wait on the spirit by reason of the cloud. I just stand here and I'm wondering. I wonder if the reason by reason of the cloud. We just really couldn't even get through a service. Because God was so thick and so powerful in this place. I'm hungry for the cloud of the Holy Spirit. We have had it many times here. There's been a great cloud, but I pray, let every time that we enter this place, let there be a cloud. And we'll say, by reason of the cloud, we couldn't get to the offering. By reason of the cloud, we could not get to the ending. Because I've heard the other side. By reason of the program, the spirit had no room to move. By reason of all the structure, nobody got the Holy Ghost. By by reason of all the things we had to do, nobody was saved. I would just say by reason of the cloud. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. By reason of the cloud, there's going to be a Tuesday in this, in this year and a Thursday in this year. And a, there's going to be a Friday in this year that we're going to say, by reason of the cloud, we got to get back to the church house and somebody's going to be baptized tonight. By reason of the cloud, we're, we're going to throw away the schedule for this whole week or whole month. Yes. Yes. It was a reflection of the cloud that led Moses and led them out of Egypt, the cloud that protected them from the enemy and gave clarity for the way, the cloud that lifted and rested and moved and directed. The temple might have simply been a monument, but the glory of the Lord filled it. And with their obedience and heart and sacrifice in hand, God blessed it. Let me just say it again. To obey the word and to live a life of sacrifice, a sacrificial life, God blesses it. And it became a witness. It became a witness to everyone. That even the far reaches of the world came to see it. They wondered, we've never seen anything like it. It was great. It was appealing to the eye. But the great thing about it was, the cloud was there. And the cloud did rest there. The sacrifices were made. And the blood was consumed on the mercy seat there in the, in the temple. Just as it was in the tabernacle. Which tells us something. That as long as they kept the truth in place. And as long as they invited the cloud of glory. As long as they they kept the ordinances and the decrees and the commandments and obeyed them. That God would dwell among them. Watch now. John chapter 9. It's a far cry from what I just read to you. Jesus is walking with his disciples. They, they're young and experienced men and they're walking with the Lord. And they, they like to find cause and effect, fault and blame. And they're unlearned in so many ways. They're indeed far from the intent of the Lord's purpose. They're going to get there, but right now they're not there. And they pass by a blind man and they ask Jesus. They said, Master, who did sin? Uh, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Well, why, why is he blind? Who, who 
who's at fault here? And Jesus answered his disciples, nobody's sin, not him or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And Jesus just deflects their natural causes. He rejects a sinful solution. The blindness of this man was meant for something far greater. It was blindness and it was meant for a witness for the magnificent power of God. And while the disciples were looking for that cause and effect and blame and casting all kinds of doubt, he was declaring his purpose. But that is not what we think when we see someone seeking for a healing. We think about their well-being. But the purpose is for the sake of someone else's salvation. It was meant for a witness. The magnificent of the miracle We rejoice over the miracle, but the miracle cannot be stagnant. The miracle is for there to be a witness. John chapter 2 verse 23. I'm getting there. This is speaking of Jesus. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name. When, everyone say when. When. When they saw the miracles, which he did, which implies that they did not believe until they saw the miracle. But when they saw the miracle, they believed in his name. The miracle was the open door to his truth. The miracle was the witness that something was greater, his name. The Pharisees wouldn't even come to ask the disciples, by what power, by what name have you performed this miracle? It was for a witness. The witness lasted longer than the healing. The word, ladies and gentlemen, will endure. So let there be a witness. Healing may last you for a season, but the word of salvation will last you for eternity. So, so here's the end of the book of Mark. Speaking of the disciples in the other church. The Bible says they went forth and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. Here's what the Lord was doing. Confirming the word with signs following. The word was confirmed with a sign. The sign was a witness of something greater. The thing that was greater was always the gospel. It was always the word. The miracle was never greater than the gospel. I don't want to, I hope I don't bother you. Your healing is never greater than your salvation. I hope you are healed. I will pray for your healing. But your healing of cancer, of disease, of diabetes, of liver disease, it is never greater than the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the power of the name of Jesus in your life. I pray that you would get a better job and get a, and get a pay increase and get a better career. But it will never be greater than the fact that you know that the mighty God is Jesus. The Prince of Peace is he. The everlasting Father. The King eternally. I rise to say there's nothing greater than knowing the word. I hope you're healed, but the healing has to be a witness of something greater. Here's the book of Hebrews. How shall we escape? Hebrews chapter 2. If we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, the salvation. God also bearing them witness. Here's how he did it, both with signs and wonders, with different types of miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. The salvation was confirmed by signs and wonders and miracles. Signs and wonders and miracles attend to the salvation of the word. Amen. Here's Acts 19. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. These miracles were unique. They were miracles of uniqueness. They were uncommon even in the days of the apostles. But it's verse 20 that reveals the intent of God's power. In verse 11, on through, you're starting to see miracles and things that happen that 
they've not seen heretofore. But in verse 20, this is the reason. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. That means that word prevailed is a term that we use in war or battle. It prevailed. It conquered. The word of God grew and it conquered. The witness was enabled with the miracle. The truth was received because of the healing. The healing, the miracle, the wonder of it all was for the purpose of the gospel. He confirms the truth with the miracle. The place is good. It is allowed. It's permissible. But the gospel, the doctrine, the word is what makes it valuable. You take the glory out of the temple and you'll find idol worship and debauchery. We saw it in the scripture. Eli died in darkness with an empty temple. His grandson's name was written Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. Same temple, no glory. Same furnishings, no light, no revelation. So concerning this house, concerning that house, God gave the word. And concerning this house, we are thankful and we're blessed. And it's great. And it's wonderful. And it's allowed. And it's permissible. But this place and that place are just made of bricks, stone, concrete, drywall, pipes, wires. You take out sound doctrine, I'll tell you what you have. You have a showpiece. I'm not going to a church that's a showpiece. Don't click the box and say, well, I'm here. No, that's not what we're doing. By reason of the cloud, we're going to have revival. By reason of the cloud, it's going to make the place valuable. (laughs) You take out the power of the name of Jesus and baptisms of water and spirit, or if you take out holiness, there's not much difference between us and a theater of arts. You take out the anointing of the choir and there's not much difference between us and a Broadway show. But you put the anointing in the choir and by reason of the cloud. Help me. Help me. Even the supernatural miracles that we experience are not just for our comfort, ladies and gentlemen. They're meant so the glory of God might be manifest. They are a witness of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. The miracles that happen in your life are not just that you could be, you could live in comfort and feel good about yourself. I'm glad that Lazarus came out of the tomb and they unwrapped all the grave clothes, but I just got news for Lazarus. He's going back in the same place he came out of. You might be healed today, but tomorrow you might die. I've seen people healed of a disease and die of something else. It is appointed once for man to die. If the Lord tarries long enough, you will age, you will die, you will be crippled, you will lose your faculties. But while you have life, remember this one thing. You've got to get your salvation. You've got to hold on to your salvation. You've got to hold on to the truth and the decrees and the witness and the ordinances and the doctrine. willing to give up the doctrine I'm not willing to give up holiness I'm not willing to give up the name so if you have been healed of anything or if your family has been healed of anything You ought to be telling it to everybody you know. If you have been healed of anything ever, it was not so that you could get rid of the medication or walk without a limp or a pain. It was so you could be a witness and the glory of God might be manifest in you. I feel a word to give to somebody here tonight. 
You've been complaining and wondering why you keep dealing with the same issue. The question is not why. The question is, will you be willing and will you give God glory if he heals you? Because he's more interested in his salvation than he is in our comfort. Oh, no. If you've been delivered of anything, prescription drugs, illicit drugs, depression, rejection, self-condemnation, what is it? If you've been delivered of anything. I'm sorry I even start naming stuff because I probably didn't get where you are or where you were. But if you've been delivered of anything, you ought to be proclaiming it to everybody you know. I've been delivered. You don't understand where I came from. I'll tell you why he delivers you. So that you can be a witness. So that you can be a witness. saved you and then let you die you'd never make you'd, you'd never miss the rapture he could have saved you and then you could just go on to be with glory just wait until the last trumpet sound but he sustains you not so that you can live a nice life and have a 401k and get married and have a family vacation no he sustains you I will even go this far he sustains you delivered you and brought you here for such a time as this so there could be a Holy Ghost revival concerning this house there's got to be a revival Souls, 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 people, families, the lost, the discouraged, the prodigal, souls. Just give me a moment. Whoa. If you've been restored, you had them, you messed up, you failed, you failed multiple times, but he restored you and he brought you back and you're back in the church and you're loving God. You got a few regrets. Come on. Got a few wishes. I wish I could go back and read you if you got a few things, but he restored you. You ought to be shouting everybody. I know about messing up, but I know about being restored. You ought to shout to everybody. He's the restorer of my soul. How? He restored me. He restored me. He rescued my soul from despair. I was sinking. I was lost. I was out. I had it. I lost it. But he brought me back in. I'm going to tell you why you're in this house. You're in this house so you can shout it to everybody you know. Just, just give me a moment. I'm gonna be a little strong here. So just pardon me if it, it, just pardon me. It's a shame that people would go to a church, any church, and not be a witness of the doctrine of the gospel. That's a shame. That's keeping the medicine out of the mouth of the sick. Yeah, I know how you can be saved. I know how you can be healed. I know you're dying of a disease. I'm not telling you. 
I'm not going to say anything. I just keep my mouth shut. God can deal with you. You find on your own. That's a shame. Oh, no. Oh, no. You got here. If you got here yesterday, now is the time for you to be a witness of the glory of God. Concerning this house. Now, I. You may be seated. I really haven't had this with our with our children we haven't had this but we did have it at our house because my brother was very good at debate and he would point out to my father what other people would allow their children to do <laughs> and he he was very good at debating and he could just pin you in the corner you know and bring up all the good about that other family and then then at the end and they allow their kids to go there. <laughs> and it's, it's very hard to argue with that because, you know, he's got facts and figures and the goodness of the parents and, and how they're supportive and all the stuff. And, I mean, Scott just knew how to lay it out. He's just the master of it. I just, yeah, that's good. Amen. I was the amen corner. That's right. Get him. Get him. Get him, Scott. Get him. You're getting dad. You're going to get him. You got him pinned in. Oh, now freedom is on the way. We're going to get to do everything that we ever wanted to do. You are the man. I love you. And then all of a sudden, dad would just come back with this one statement. I don't care what they do at their house. This is our house. shoot foiled again I would say what are you talking about this is our house I don't care what they do over there I don't care if you think they're good over there I don't think they're right over there but in this house this is how we're going to do it here's how we're going to live here's how we're going to breathe here's how we're going to walk concerning this house here's how we're going to worship here's how we're going to give here's how we're going to dance here's how we're going to praise Concerning this house. I'm almost through. Jesus spoke to the woman of Samaria at a well. He sends his disciples off and she contends with him. And one of her contentions is the difference between her people and the Jews. And she says to the Lord, Sir, our fathers... They worshiped here in this mountain. See this mountain here in Samaria? That's where our fathers worship. But all of you Jews, you, you say we have to go to Jerusalem to worship. Because that's where all the people ought to worship over in Jerusalem. You've chosen Moriah, but, but, but we couldn't go there. So we, we worship here in this mountain. And Jesus turned to her and said, believe me, the hour cometh. When neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem or that mountain. You're not going to, you're not going to. Worry about which place. Here's verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Because the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him. Well, you can't put him in a box. You can't put him in a temple. You can't put him in a house. You can't confine him to a room because he's a spirit. And they that worship him, you got to worship him in Numa and in the word. And 11 verses later, Jesus said it like this. He said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. In the very same chapter, he said, look up. There is a field of harvest. We got to get all the people together. We're going to have a worship time. Don't worry where it's going to be. It's going to be worshiping in spirit and in truth. Concerning this house, here's what we're going to do this year. We're going to fill this place and we're going to move into another place. And the new place has got to be filled with fervor by reason of the cloud. It's got to be filled with miracles and signs and wonders so we can confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. will be miracles there will be healings there will be wonders but it's going to confirm the doctrine of Jesus Christ if you want a miracle in your life you make a commitment right now that you will tell everybody about what God has done for you
Don't expect to have a miracle if you will keep it to yourself. I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm just telling you how I feel. I feel like if something good has happened to you and you know the Lord has done it for you, you ought to tell somebody, everybody, about what the Lord has done for you. And if you find some great thing that God has done for you, you ought to open up your mouth to everybody in the store, at the laundromat, at the coffee house, at the white Walmart or Kroger or Meyer, wherever you go shopping at Aldi's. You ought to tell everybody at your job, at your work. You ought to tell everybody how good God is and what he's done for you. And you can just say, I got a witness. He healed me. He delivered me. He restored me. Luke 23, I'm sorry, Luke 14, verse 23. This is in the parable, but obviously this is the Lord's admonition. So Jesus would say this. Verse 23, go out quickly. Go out quickly. Into the streets and lanes of the city. If the good people won't come, the affluent people won't come, don't worry about it. It's all right. Some of them will come. We're not after any particular kind of people. We're after all the people. We'll, we'll, we'll get whoever wants to, wants to come. But, but, but if the people you think would be good for the church, they don't come. First of all, let me just tell you, you don't know who's going to be good for the kingdom. It's a person you think that'd be no good might be the greatest. Put your filter on anybody. He can restore anybody and, and, make, and raise them up to be powerful. Rahab was a harlot. But she had faith. And God saved her. And she let a crimson rope down her window which was the typology of the blood on your life and she's included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ so don't think that he can't save the harlot and the prostitute Amen. okay wait wait go, go quickly now into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind this is the word of the Lord for us concerning this house. Get everybody you can get. Everybody bring one person to church. Everybody bring one. Everybody bring one guest every month to church. Beg him to come. Tell him you'll bring him food. Tell him you'll take him out for dinner. You've got nothing to lose. If they reject you and say, well, I can't, but I don't like it, you tell them, try it again. If they keep rejecting you, go find somebody else until you find somebody that will stick. The world's on fire. You're pulling them out of the fire. You're not, I I don't want to preach to the same people. Love you. I don't want to preach to you next year if this is all we have. I don't want to do that. I want to preach to your friend, and I want you to preach to your friend, and I want them to preach to their friend. I, I did the math. I, I think I'm right, I, I, and I could be wrong by some digits, but I think surrounding some close surrounding area, I had 135,000 people in the surrounding area. One, 103.15, and, and then another addition. I'm, I'm, I'm doing 135,000 people. If we just reached one-tenth of one percent, it's 135 people a year. Not 10%, not 1%, one-tenth of one percent, and we're going to go get them. You're a witness. You're a witness. You're a witness. 
I had a man walk into my office this week. He had never been in this town. He walked in and we start talking. He said, I'm just driving in this little country area. And he said, wow, I drive. And all of a sudden, man, pastor, I saw this big building out here. What's going on? And I said, it's the goodness of the Lord. Listen, that's just a building, but let it be a witness that the glory of God is in the house. Go quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, bringing in the poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind. The servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. Bring me, give me the scripture one more time. And yet there is room. <laughs> there is room. There's going to be room. It's going to be room because we're going to make room. Please don't tell me that's your favorite seat there will be room there's always going to be room there's going to be a lot of room and that didn't go over real well and the Lord said unto the servant oh yeah there's more room you got more space go out now into the highways and the hedges and compel here's the word that was used When the angels of the Lord came to Lot's house and Lot and his wife and his children, they were vexed. They were so, by this time, they were so carnal. Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be burned and the wickedness and the evil of that city that had infected Lot so much. Even Peter wrote that he was a righteous man vexed in his spirit. He didn't even know what to do. He didn't know how to save his family. He had been so inundated with carnality. He had the idea. Just get along with everybody. Just let him be. Don't say anything. It corrupted his spirit. The Bible says that the angels of the Lord compelled him. They took him by the the hand and pulled him out. And compelled them to come. Compel them. You got to come. You gotta come. Come on in, that my house may be filled. We're gonna go everywhere. We're gonna go to the streets. We're gonna go to homes. We're gonna go to the hedges and the highways. We're gonna get everybody who wants. You're gonna get them. Come on, somebody. Say it. I'm gonna get them. I'm gonna find them. I'm gonna compel them. Here's what I know if we wait, until we have a lot of extra space to reach the lost we'll never reach the lost uh, some of you don't know this but but when we were in the old building across the street every sunday night we we unfolded 125 metal chairs we had 40 seats on the platform i did not sit on the platform at the very end who remembers those days we had 40 seats on the platform they were the nice chairs the cushion chairs that's where the choir sang that's why everybody wanted to sit in the choir because he had nice cushiony chairs (laughs) but we set out 125 metal chairs there were post beams just like that beam i can never get away from a beam i always have a beam there was beams And people who didn't want to really look at me would sit behind the beam. Unless I walked around, I'd look at them. Hello. And then I'd go back and preach a little bit. And we had metal chairs in the back. We had metal chairs in the front. All the young people had metal chairs. At altar service, we would just fold up the metal chairs. It didn't matter. By reason of the cloud, that place was filled. And by reason of the cloud, this place has got to be packed out before we ever get there. Stand with me now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Put a hunger in the heart of your people to reach every person they can find. Let there be a witness in this house, in every life, that you are a healer, you are a deliverer, you are the restorer of our soul, that you have recovered us. Let every voice become a witness. Let this building and the new building, let it all just be a witness that you are the God of glory. 
we do not exalt a structure but we exalt you Lord but we dedicate our lives right now dwell among us Lord and concerning this house let the word of God go forth that we will stand true and faithful to the apostolic doctrine to the baptisms of the Holy Spirit and to the baptism of the name of Jesus Christ we pledge right now Lord we will be a force to be reckoned with and a great army of God I pray Lord for every home to be an extension of the church house and every table to be a place where there's a Bible study. Lift up your voice right now and submit your life to the Lord. Submit your pride. Give up everything for the kingdom. Thankful for the shocks here. I know some may think this is a little fleshly, but I think we need to give a hand for a man that will give himself like our pastor has given himself to lead us. many houses that they do not even have a chance to be led by the cloud they have they have no chance because they have no leader that is seeking after the cloud and i i trust that this year we all as a part of the new life family will take a dagger and run it through petty just run it through petty and I trust that we would all lift up our eyes and look into the field and look into the field fulfillment will never come in our lives until we look under the field it's it's a God thing It's the way God made us. It's the way fulfillment comes. And so I would like for us all in closing tonight to just close our eyes and lift our hands to heaven and commit to the cloud. Commit to the cloud. In our individual lives, in our family, and in our neighborhoods, can we commit to the cloud? Father, we come. We're thankful for the word that, that you've given us through our pastor. We're thankful for the sacrifice that preceded the word that you gave. And Father, I pray that you will help us look up. That you will help us look beyond ourselves, beyond our own needs, beyond our own pettiness, and truly break into a new level a new level of cloud living in this year. Let it be in Jesus' name. And can the church say amen? Can we give God a shout of praise with our hands and our voices? Can we praise God right now for the victory? Can we praise Him right now for the victory that we're going to experience? in our lives, our families, in our communities and neighborhoods.